Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Jude. We live in a world that is against the ways of Jesus. It seems that everywhere we look, the truth of God's word is under attack, even within the church. We as believers are called not to cower in the face of these attacks, but to boldly proclaim what is true and defend what is right. And this is what the book of Jude is all about. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Please stand, remain standing, grab your Bibles to Jude. We are now in our sixth week of the one chapter book, <laughs> and I feel like I'm doing a Luke to you once again. Um, but to me, it, it, when I was praying about, again, I, we're going through Jude, I thought if ever there is an important message that I would want to really spend time and develop with you, especially in the light of where we'll be heading in a few months, and the changes, my heart, I think, just comes out so strong in this book that I, I felt like it's something I really hope that you really take to heart as we go through it. I think the message is so critically important. Something that, that I pray that we, especially in the day we're living in, that you would really take heed with the instruction that you're given here. But we're going to pick up today at verse 12. Ryan taught last week. We're at verse 12. As Jude continues, he says, These men who are hidden reeves in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And it was about these men that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all of the ungodly of all the ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoke against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, Following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And then we'll now sit and hear what we have to <laughs> say. I know, you thought I was going to bring you all the way to the end today, didn't you? No, 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 no. We got we to gotta, we gotta carry this. I, ha- I have so many things in my heart that I want to share next week. I've already kind of filled up the page uh, with things that the Lord had put in my heart, but... When our kids were growing up and they were coming into those formative years, one of the great desires of my heart for our children is that they would learn how to be leaders and to be very careful about who they follow, about the influences in their lives. We prayed that they would learn to, to kind of develop that, that discernment about those who would have an influence upon them. And the reason is, is that we didn't want to ever see them led astray. Our hearts was, we knew what God wanted for them. We knew that the things we desired for them, but we also knew there's a lot of things out there to draw, to draw their attention, things that would lead them in a direction which we knew wouldn't be right for them. So our prayer for them was regardless of the trends, regardless of the fads and the, uh, of their times and the peer pressures we knew that they were going to have to face with their friends, that they would have a willingness in the heart to stand up for what is true. 
that they would have a willingness to stand up even when others were sitting down, that they would have such a strong uh, conviction that they were willing to stand out as leaders rather than followers. And I've always been drawn to good leaders and leadership, leadership abilities, because good leaders are the ones who have in the past, who do now, and will continue to make a difference in the world. These are the ones who are going to leave the world better off because they were here. But good leaders we know are willing to stand up. They're willing to fight for what is right, regardless of the flow and the currents of the time and the the tides that might cause them to drift out into sea. Good leaders are aware of where where they are, and they know where they are headed. And they know that there's others who are following behind them. And even though I admire good leadership and I admire leadership altogether, I realize that the real issue about leaders for us is not just that they're leaders, but that they're good leaders. Because leaders can be powerful leaders, but also powerfully corrupt leaders. I mean, I think we witness that all the time as we watch the news every day. And we see just the, 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 uh, what's taking place in the world around us through some of our leaders, and they can use their influences to manipulate for their own purposes and lead others astray to their destruction and demise. You think of Hitler, and you think of Mussolini, and Mao Zedong, and Saddam Hussein, all these people, who they were great leaders for sure. They, they led people, but they led them to their destruction. On the other side, you know, in history, we have those who have been influential and powerful, like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and so many others, who when they left, they really left the world better off because they were here. You see, Proverbs 29.2, and I love this one, it says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. Isn't that true? Every leader has the responsibility of those who are following behind them. And it's an awesome responsibility. What makes a great leader is that they have first learned how to be a good follower. They've learned how to follow those who are worthy of following. They're looking for those who are taking them in a direction that they know that themselves need to go. And they're looking at the finish line. So they say, I'm going the same direction. He's going that direction. I want to follow him. I see where he's going. That's what I want. Because any time you follow after anyone, you better know where they're headed for. you got to know what the road is, is leading you on. And I think that's one of the wisest, uh, wisest piece of information that I could give you today is you have to be careful about which road you're walking on and where it's leading you, where it's going to take you. When I was a young believer, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, I think, worked in my heart and gave me a a real conscious desire, a decision that I made that I didn't want to follow anyone who wasn't going in the same direction that I knew I needed to be going. And that they were not headed for the same goal that I was set my heart for, especially as a believer. Because I wanted to know, if I follow you, where are you going to lead me? Where are you going to take me? What road am I going to be on? You know, Jesus is, if you remember, his greatest His greatest, really, opposition that he faced in his ministry was with religious leaders. These are the ones who had the influence over all the people of Israel, or the the Jewish people at that time. And Jesus says in Luke 6.39, he says, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? I mean, that's the danger. If you're blind following the blind, I mean, where will they lead you? And Matthew, I think of Jesus when he kind of gives the Pharisees a tongue lashing. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
He says, because you travel around on sea and land and you make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much as, much as son of hell as yourselves. And that's pretty potent language. He says, they're following you, but listen where you're taking them. Look where they're going to lead you. So I find myself extremely blessed in my life that I have had some great leaders that I've been able to follow. I had a wonderful pastor, Pastor Chuck, was just a, a great influence on my life. I think of A.W. Tozer, who I've probably read, I think, everything, and they keep bringing out sermons for a guy who's been dead for, you know, since 1963. I find it amazing, but um, he's just had a, he's had a wonderful influence in my life. I'm so glad he was here. I'm so glad that he gave that influence and, and others that have had an influence in my life. But the Apostle Paul understood this whole principle. What he would say to those who were with him, he said, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. You can follow me, but if you're following me, I want to let you know where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to Jesus. You see, true disciples, we have to always make sure that we're on the right road that we're going in the right direction, and that our goal is really the, the best and the right goal that we have for ourselves. We got to know. The reason I'm saying all this is because I think that this in itself gets to the root of why Jude was so passionate in this short but powerful little letter that packs a punch. He may not be a comforting book to read. You might not read this when you go, oh, I just wanted something to, to make myself feel good. It's not really one of those kinds of books. But it is very convicting and it's very need, needy, uh, something that we need desperately. But the message of Jude, I believe, is so important, especially because I think we're in a days of apostasy where many have turned away. If ever there is a need for discernment in the body of Christ, it's right now. Boy, do we ever need it. And this is what's happening in the church that Jude and the reason why he sounds the alarm in his day, apostates who had themselves turned away from the truth had crept into the church. And they were like undercover agents of Satan. And they were, act they were actually uh, actively seeking to seduce and lead others astray in their apostasy. They were teaching that the grace of Christ who saves us from sin now allows us freedom to sin and to pursue our fleshly desires and our passions. What they were doing is seeking to normalize sexual immorality within the church. I mean, much like we see going on in our day everywhere around us, you know, they're interpreting freedom from sin as freedom to sin. And they're seeking to lead other believers down that same road, leading them from back to the bondage that they have already been delivered from. It's like, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. Even though you've been delivered from this, you can go back to it. You can do this. You can simply go back into this bondage. I mean, after all, you are a believer. and It doesn't really matter. How many of you guys have ever heard that message? I see it happening all the time where believers are like, hey, we're not going to hurt you. You can do this. You can follow back into this little pattern of sin. It's not going to hurt you. And you see them walking right back into the bondage that they were delivered from. And it's so disheartening for me when I watch believers being seduced back into the very sin that they've been delivered from. But they're seeking to lead those to whom Christ, and it isn't so much that they're deceived themselves, they're influencing others with their deceptions, and they want to lead them astray. And so thus, Jude would give us that wonderful, powerful exhortation there in verse 3, that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. 
He wrote this little letter so that those of us who really believe and love our salvation, the truth that we've been given, that we would stand up, that we would fight for, that we would stand against anything that doesn't align with the truth of God's word. One of the things that we've been giving in that principles over these weeks is again, Ryan shared it last week, we've been doing it almost every week, that never judge the Holy Scripture against the standard of the culture you are living in. Always judge the culture you are living in against the standard of God's eternal holy word. His word is eternal. But Jude reminds these believers as to who these apostates really were. He said they're corrupt. They're deceptive manipulators. They are condemned. He reminded them of the road that they're leading and where they're heading, that they themselves are on the road to destruction. They are destined for the wrath of God and the holy judgment to come, and that they are the voice, really, of the ten spies in the wilderness who provoked fear and unbelief and disobedience in the hearts of the Israelites, causing a whole generation to perish in the wilderness." The rebellion was like the rebellion of the fallen angels who had abandoned their proper abode. And as a result, are now locked away in chains awaiting for the judgment to come. That their unrestrained immorality and unrestrained passions were like those of Sodom and Gomorrah who were given over to their fleshly passions and desires, unbridled sexual perversions and wickedness and injustices who ultimately suffer the violent wrath of God, who actually smites the cities with fire and brimstone. You want a fire and brimstone message, just look at Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says, this is who they are. They're seeking to lead others down that same road. If you follow after them, that's where they're going to take you. And Jude states this thing that he wants us to really understand, is that imminent judgment awaits all who depart from the truth. Last week, Ryan went on to describe their character. He said, well, they're dreamers. They're deluded by their own illusions and imaginations of their own selves. That they're filled with vain pride. They're irreverent. They have no fear of God. They are rebellious. They are not submitted to God, nor are they submitted to man. They make themselves their own authority. They're greedy. They're self-seeking. They're immoral, unholy, without moral conviction. They are deceivers, liars, and distorters. And they're like Cain, who sought to come to God in their own terms. They were, they were captives of the dead, stale, lifeless religion. And like Balaam, the prophet for hire, they were hirelings who had sold themselves out for their own greed and lust and cared only about themselves at the expense of others. And like Korah in the Old Testament who rebelled against Moses, they challenged the authority of God over them to lead them as believers. Now I get the sense that when Jude was writing this little short letter, I think he was filled. I think he was worked up. I think that as he was writing this, that he's, he's got righteous indignation kind of flowing through his veins as he begins to think about these apostates and all that they were doing and the trouble they were causing. I, I know that for myself, I get worked up reading this. I mean, I, I can only imagine what he feels. I get worked up sometimes. I'll turn the channel and I find some station and listen to some goofy guy up there who's kind of pretending to teach the word and go, what a mess. I get angry. My wife, after a while, she says, you can't watch this anymore. She says, this is not good for you. You just get angry. You watch, you listen to all this nonsense. These guys are saying, you know, people are following them. 
And I get all worked up and say, why? Why is this going on? And so Jude continues on here in this passage where we are here today and begins to describe them as what they're like. These are men who are hidden reefs, in verse 12, hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear. They're like hidden reefs, he says. Some versions translate their spots or their blemishes, but the picture here he's drawing is this. They're like hidden rocks on a sea that are capable of causing a ship to wreck. And so, too, are these who seek to shipwreck the faith of others around them. J. Vernon McGee, J. may I say to you, Vernon McGee, he says that an apostate may be compared to the tip of an iceberg. Very little of it is visible, but if a ship runs into it, the ship will go down to the bottom of the sea. He says that's who these are. They are hidden reefs and their love feasts. These love feasts he's talking about be like our, our potlucks. You know, the early church, they got together and they had fellowship a lot. And usually it was around food. Isn't that a good thing? I noticed that when you kind of put food in there, it kind of brings out the crowd. But they would get together. It's like, this is our, our time of intimacy and fellowship with one another. We get to eat and break bread together. And typically they would follow it up with communion. But he's, the picture is, is, here they are. All the people are gathered together. These apostates are kind of working their way into the crowd. They're kind of mingling in with everybody else. And all the while, they're simply there to feed their own appetite. They selfishly push, you know, push everybody out of line. They get in the front of the line. They stack their plate with the finest and best of foods without any consideration of those who are behind them. They have no fear of the Lord. They have no concern that anyone cares or God cares or is watching over what they're doing. They're like the prosperity teachers in our day. Everywhere, every place in church is preaching a message of health and wealth at the expense of others who would willingly prey upon the poorest and most vulnerable in order to, to make themselves rich. You know, kind of, if you want to be blessed, you really want to be blessed, well, give to me. It's not give to the Lord or give to the Lord's work or to give to those in the mission field. No, it's if you really want to be blessed, you better just give it to me. I'm the one, I need it more than anybody else. And so while others are living in shacks and they're barely making it, they're buying the best and the finest homes, multiple homes, cars, high living boats, living on the, high on the hog at the expense of everyone else they claim to be serving. And then they make those who don't have the riches they have feel guilty because they don't have enough faith. Listen, this stuff is wicked. It's, it's evil. I mean, these teachers, they're, they're bloodsuckers. Man, they're, they're, they're out there to take, 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 but they'll never give. And they prey upon the weak, wrecking the faith without fear of God. I think of Ezekiel where he gives this powerful, this powerful rebuke, if you will, to the false shepherds of that day. He says, prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. And those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. This is what I see taking place. It took place in the Old Testament. It's taking place. Jesus said it would always be with you. Peter said, it'll always be. He says, we're false prophets. There'll be false teachers among you. But this gets to the heart of Jude here. These are the kinds of leaders that people 
uh, view people as merely as a means to their own end. That's a far cry from what Jesus gives to us as a good shepherd. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, he says, you know, that in the world, kings are tyrants and officials lorded over people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the picture of leadership right there. Jesus. And I find that for the most part, people who follow after these particular leaders, a lot of them is because this is, they are promising them the very things that their own greedy hearts really want. But he says they're clouds without, without water. They're carried away by the winds. They're autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. I love the poetic language that he uses here. They're like clouds, he says, without water. Water is clouds. They kind of come, they give you the promise of rain, but they're unable to deliver it. Now, we don't have a hard, or we do have a hard time really understanding that in Oregon, because usually the clouds don't have too much of a problem delivering the rain. However, if you live in an agrarian culture that is completely dependent upon the rain, you can understand what he's saying here. You know, if you want a fruitful harvest, you've got to have the rain. You have to have the rain. And the picture here is of a thirsty, parched land that is, is just yearning and thirsty for water. The farmer rejoices. He looks out in the distance, and there he sees the cloud, and it looks so good to his eyes. He thinks, oh, here it comes. And they think you know, it's going to be filled with water. However, as the cloud passes over and carried along by the wind, it just passes over it and never gives anything. It never pours one little drop. It simply just passes on by. It leaves you dry. It leaves you empty. And that's these false teachers. They look good on the outside, but they offer nothing of substance. They leave you feeling empty, parched, and dry. Listen, people, you need to know something if who you follow isn't leading to Jesus, you better get off the road. Because that is where a believing believer ought to be looking. It's to Jesus. He is our goal. He's the one we're looking for. John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That even in the midst of everything going on in the world, that when we come to Jesus, he has something to give to us. He's always got the rain. He's always got the water that we're going to need. He says they're like autumn leaves without fruit. You know, when the autumn time comes and the fall comes, the farmer expects there to be a fruitful harvest. But all he goes out and finds is fruitless trees. The, dry has been, the ground's been dried up without the rain. It's been hardened, hardened and the trees are barren, they're fruitless. And it just brought me to think back about what Jesus warned about in Matthew seven fifteen. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit, and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. They have no fruit. They bear no fruit. They're doubly dead, he says. The reality is they're not only dead, they're twice dead. Physically, 
and spiritually, they're not mostly dead. No, they are altogether dead. And they've, they really have nothing to offer. You know the old saying, it says, live once, die twice, live twice, die once. And so they're starved, fruitless, barren trees. They're not just dead, they've been uprooted. Their roots have been severed. These barren trees are worthless. All they do is draw resources, needed resources for other trees that produce fruit. He says, thus, the only thing that is really good for them is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. So it is with these false teachers. Verse 13, he says, they're wild waves of the sea. They're casting up their own shame like foam. I love this picture, you know, wild waves of the sea. They, they are not a bridge over troubled water. They are the troubled water. They are the raging waves of the sea. They're troubled waters who serve only to churn up the dredge and the scum from the bottom of the sea. Isaiah 57, 20 says that when the wicked are, but the wicked are like a tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up refuse and mud. Like the ungodly or the ugly shoreline that you see after a great storm with all the debris and all the scum that's been drudged up from the sea that makes its way to the shore, so is the picture of the wreckage of souls who now follow in their wake. He says they're wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Wandering stars like comets and shooting stars, they make their way, they're like a flash in the pan. They offer excitement for just a moment of time, but their light is fleeing and it vanishes off into the darkness of night, into an endless eternity. And I get a picture of a ship out there at sea and the captain's out there and he's being guided by the stars at night as he navigates his course. And then the skies above, this bright shining star makes shoots across the sky from one end to the other. It comes from out of nowhere. It seems to go nowhere, but it makes it seen. And the captain of the ship, you know, we know this. He would never seek to follow that star for direction because he knows it's going nowhere. It's from nowhere, and it's going nowhere. These, these false teachers, he's saying, are but a flash in a pan. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow, but they leave nothing but destruction in their wake. They may create excitement for a moment of time. They may stir up your emotions. They might get you all worked up. But they are nothing more than a flash in the pan here for a moment, but eternally lost. They leave nothing of substance behind them. And just as an unpredictable star would provide no guidance for anyone's navigation, so these deceivers provide no guidance for anyone. They're worthless and untrustworthy. In verse 14, he says it's about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, Enoch's name, as you look at this, and we've already talked about this a few weeks ago, there's not really a lot written about him in the Bible that we have. But we do have a couple of instances other than just the genealogies that his name shows up in. And in Jude, or Genesis 5.24, it says Enoch walked with God and, he wa and God took him. He was not. Hebrews 11.5 says, but by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up and for he obtained the witness 
that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And the thing you see here is that God took him up. He raptured him before the judgment to come. And here is his faith that brings pleasure to God. Here again, as an earlier Jude is speaking from what we would know to be the book of of Enoch. It's an apocryphal book. Uh, We've already talked about that. But even that doesn't negate the truth. Well, how do we know? Because we have the rest of Scripture to measure it with. You have Isaiah verse chapter 66, verse 15, for instance. It says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. He says there are going to be many. Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 16, 27. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come at the glory of of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to their deeds. And Matthew 13, for the Son of Man will come forth with his angels and they will gather together out of the kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, He who has ears, let him hear. He says, listen, I want you to understand, this is what awaits those who would drag away from the church or drag away from the truth of God into their own deceptions. In Matthew 13, you see it again, the parable of the dragnet. He says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and will take out the wicked from among the righteous, and it will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You think the Bible really talks about hell? I do. I think it's pretty clear. Jesus says it. In Matthew 25, 46, you know, the separation of the sheep from the goats, he says, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Boy, that's an important part. You know, there's interesting that, that a lot of the churches today and even pastors are denying there is even a hell, that there is even a place or a righteous judgment that is coming. You need to be sure there is. God's word tells us so clearly so boldly that that time of judgment is coming. And it doesn't matter whether people believe it or don't believe it, the truth is still the truth. And you have to hold on to it. Now, Jude's point here is don't let yourself be fooled, believer. He says God is watching out and he sees all that is going on and one day he's going to kind of bring justice to it all. But I notice how he emphasizes those two words that Enoch says. He says all, you see all the ungodly, ungodly, ungodly works that they do. I know that a lot of people don't want to talk about judgment. I know that I've met many in my life who said, I can handle talking about Jesus. I just can't handle talking about judgment. I can't handle hearing about judgment. But this question is really the most important one that you really need to consider. You know, how, not if I'm going to be judged, but how will I be judged? And the question is the most important one that you can really ask yourself. Because if you're standing here today on your own good works and you're thinking about who you are and how wonderful you are, you're in real trouble. But if you're here today and you're standing in faith on the work of Jesus and what he's done for you, you have a wonderful, secure promise ahead of you because he's the one. And finally, if Jude hasn't already said enough about these teachers, wait, there's even more. Verse 16, he says they're grumblers finding fault, 
following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people with their, for the sake of gaining an advantage. These are grumblers, complainers. You ever meet those? Anybody here have a hard time complaining? <laughs> Probably just a part of our flesh, isn't it? Which makes us so hideous. But you need to know something. Complaining and grumbling is not a fruit of the Spirit. Nor it is a gift of the Spirit. It is a fruit of your flesh. I get a kick out of some people when you know you kind of talk about themselves and their complainers and they say, well, this is just the way I am. I've always been like this. Well, listen, God wants to change you. He wants to change you. He wants to do something in you that makes you not like who you are. That's his work. People grumble and complain. All it does is prove that they're not satisfied with what God has given to them. And it was true for Israel and their unbelief. Remember out in the wilderness, all they did is complain. Every time something went wrong, oh, God, you brought us out here only to let us die. But it has been said that whenever someone is out of harmony with God, that the first thing you're going to notice in them is the complaining heart. You just begin to complain. They're fault finders. Like the religious leaders with Jesus in that day, these are ones are masters at finding the fault in others. They look at the speck in everyone else's eye, but completely overlook the log in their own. And so they're judgmental, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're self-centered. No one measures up to them because they see themselves so wonderful. And when they see others sin, they might call it sin, but when they sin, it's just a mistake. That's all it is. They speak arrogantly, they're cocky. They're boastful. They're swallowed up with pride. They're self-promoters, always willing to tell anyone and everyone the great things that they've done and all that they've achieved and how the Lord has a special place for them and that, you know, they boast and they talk about, you know what, God tells me things he doesn't tell anybody else. We have a very special relationship. Yeah, I, I would love to tell you, but he told me I can't. Listen, I'm telling you, they're out there. They're out there. I'm not kidding you. It's like this kind of stuff is happening everywhere. And it's scary. I look at this in the day we're living and I realize, man, this is, this is a scary time. And every the time a believer says, I got to hold fast to that which is true. It's now. Now. They flatter people to take advantage of them. Are you kidding me? Of course they do. And by the way, there's a big difference between a compliment and a flatter. Compliments are true affirmations. Flattery is a deceiving manipulation. It's when they say things to you just to get you to a place where you'll give to them. And again, they see people as a means to their own ends. And so Jude would say, such are these apostates. These are the ones, the same ones in our day. They're hidden reefs. They're clouds without water. They're autumn trees without fruit. They're twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea. They're wandering stars. They're grumblers. They're fault finders. They're, they're arrogant, and they flatter people to take advantage of them. And these are the ones, he says, who have crept into the church and were actively seeking to lead others down the same path that they were on. And they're on the road to hell. And they're there to take anyone along with them who will follow along with them. And you say, Pastor, well, is that relevant? Oh, yeah, very relevant. 
Because I, as I've said, I believe we're right smack dab in the middle of the greatest apostasy that this world has ever known of believers who are just kind of, or those who once claimed to believe are turning away from their faith. Deconstructionism and all the other things that are going on, people say, well, I used to believe that garbage, but I don't anymore. Man, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. These pastors are out there giving people everything and anything but Jesus. They feed them with comedy, feed them with wokeness and political correctness and steps to living a positive, successful life, anything but Jesus. And it's always about, you know, how you can be happy, rather how you should be holy. Instead of leading sinners to Jesus, they're leading them away from Jesus. And they add burdens upon them that, you know, then rather than lift them, they're takers rather than givers. They stir up disorder everywhere they go. I like what someone said, the wicked are like the man who jumped off the 50th floor without a parachute. As he's passing out the 30th floor, someone shouts up, how's it going? And the jumper says, so far, so good. <laughs> That's what you get when you follow. Let me ask you, who are you trusting? Who are you following? What road are you on? The influences in your life, whether it's your spouse or your friends, your children, your pastor. Do you have influences in your life that are leading you in the right direction? Are they taking you where you need to go? Are they taking you to Jesus? Are they taking you to a deeper walk with him? Because that's what we need so desperately to stand against all the corruption that we see happening around us. I have learned over the years that the very best of people can and will disappoint. And I even hate to say this, but even I will disappoint you and I can disappoint you and I have disappointed many. But I know of one who will never, ever disappoint. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ because he loves us. And we, even when we get off the road, you know, he, he loves to bring us back. I don't know how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, but if you haven't, you should. It's a classic written hundreds of years ago, but man, it's so true. We have a path, and we're heading in a direction to the celestial city, and along the way is all these little places that we can get off and run off to. And I read the book, and I go, oh, yeah, I've been down that road. I've been down that road. I've been down that road. But I finally find one thing. I want to look to him. That's where I'm headed. And I pray that God gives you the same kind of heart. Jesus said it so boldly. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You want to come to God? You've got to come through Jesus. Not through some man or some thing. You've got to look to Jesus himself. He's the one. So let me ask you again, what road are you on and where is it leading you? Let me ask you this, if others are following after you, where are you leading them? A very important question. If others are following after you, where are you going to lead them? I pray God gives us the heart to stand out and say, Lord, I'm willing to stand up even if everyone else is sitting down. I'm willing to stand for you even if everyone else is turning away from you. 
because that's the kind of faith that we're going to desperately need in the day we live. God is not on trial, people. We are. And I am so thankful for his amazing grace. For only Jesus has had the power to save and deliver me. And I pray you find that same security. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Jude. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you join us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.